This is the Well, Well, Well podcast with Cassandra and Britt, episode 40. 40, guys. 40? I'm 40. (laughs) I'm almost 40. It's a big one. (laughs) Felt like it needed to be really important, and of course it's going to be because we are with the one and only Ashley Stock. We're so stoked about it. Episode 40, Finding Strength Through the Pain of Grief with Ashley Stock. Many of you have listened to and loved our initial episode with Ashley Stock on Jealousy. It was recorded before she got the terrible news about her sweet daughter Stevie's diagnosis. So today's episode is almost a year later, where we talk with her about what is getting her through and where she finds strength. We spent a good amount of this recording fighting back tears and feeling our hearts swell as she teaches us the language of grief. It's always a beautiful thing to see life through Ashley's perspective. Let's go. Well, 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 welcome to the podcast. We can't think of anything better than conversations with your friends about all the wellness. Let's discuss what the gurus are saying and weave the good stuff into our lives. We aren't experts, but we are your friends and we are here with you. We are so glad you joined us. Okay, so we have Ashley Stock in the house with us today. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. And Zuma. Yes, and Zuma, thank you so much for having me. If I don't keep the dog on my lap, then he's going to bark from the distance and we're all going to hear him. So, (laughs) (laughs) hey, it's like a, what do they call A pacifier? Yes. You know, it's also (laughs) like, it's for both of you. You try to say you're doing it for him. It may be for you. My emotional support dog. That's also accurate. (laughs) Emotional support dog. My pacifier. (laughs) <laughs> your pacifier I've really never heard a dog called that before <laughs> but when she said pacifier we knew we, we did about emotional support yes <laughs> okay so ash what are you drinking today tell us what your latest bevy has been diet coke <laughs> actually it's coke zero um ash what has made you switch from diet coke to coke zero okay it's the weirdest thing who are you I know I've always been like team Diet Coke. It is my vice. Everybody knows this about me. I have my preferences of where I like to buy it, of what ice ratios I like with it, what type of cup I like it with. Mm -hmm. And that's just sort of who I've been forever. So when I'm pregnant, I hate soda, which is a gift. Thank goodness. And I don't drink it the whole time because I cannot stand it until the end. And then I start to kind of like it again. And after I got pregnant with Stevie and after I delivered her and I was ready to have my first soda again, I didn't really like the way Diet Coke tasted and Coke Zero tasted amazing to me. It's like it shifted something in my brain. I don't even know what it was, but it's a fluke. And now I'm team Coke Zero. Yeah. It's a pregnancy thing. I also changed from milk chocolate to dark chocolate. (gasps) Whoa. Right. I know. Sounds like your palate got a little more sophisticated. It does. It does. (laughs) I upped my game. Ash, that's perfect. Sandra, what are you drinking today? Okay. So we know that I have been trying to do less carbs in my drinks and I had no idea how many carbs I was consuming with some of my drinks. So that was a rude awakening. It was a rude awakening on my bevies. So I have a grande iced passion tea with a splash of heavy cream and three pumps of sugar-free vanilla. I still did sugar-free. I don't care what you say. Give me the sucralose. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that's like, what I did from Starbucks. You and just did your own grape. That's right. It's a keto <laughs> pink drink. Oh, I saw that one on their list, the keto pink drink. That's and you were like, well, I'm not going to do that because it has aspartame. And yeah, 
That's okay. You go. I like it. I am. I just, I'm going to tell you that my latest change up has been making my matcha with maple syrup as the sweetener. So yummy. And then the three trees, almond milk that I told you guys about a couple episodes ago, they have pistachio milk. So if you are a pistachio fan, I'm telling you, this is so good. I'm too busy now worrying that I've been saying pistachio wrong my entire life. <laughs> but she said, sorry, that. wait, say it again. Pistachio. Wait. Okay. It you... might be pistachio. Doesn't I don't... pistachio sound like a little bit Midwest? It sorry, sounds like... a little aggressive wow. and I'm suddenly questioning it. I'm pretty sure you're the one from the Midwest, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get you. Okay. Well, thank you. This, we've got some good bevies going for us this morning. We do. We do. I like it. Okay. Ash, we recorded with you back in February of last year. Sheesh. How crazy does that sound? My goodness. Over a year ago. That Uh is wild. And so much has changed since then. Your whole entire life has changed since then. Yes, that is very accurate to say. It's been it's been quite a year, a lot of change in one year. Yeah, and so it's been a year since COVID hit our area and things shut down. And then shortly following that is when your daughter Stevie was diagnosed with the inoperable brain tumor, DIPG. And on May 27th, she passed away. Yes. We are coming up on that year mark of when you learned about her diagnosis here on Easter Sunday. I don't know the exact date of what it was last year though. Easter's, I don't. And I'm somewhat grateful for that because Mm -hmm. Easter is different. It's one of those holidays. It's different every single year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't, but I don't know the exact day. It was just, it was Easter. It was Easter and we were all waiting that news while you were by yourself down in LA and she had a steep decline and just so many emotions have been flooding through all of us just thinking about it in fact before we got on I was saying to Britt we were talking about how we've had such a rough time recovering just from this party we had the other night yes and I was saying I have felt like for weeks now there's just like this weight of these year marks with Stevie that are just weighing on us Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, I think for a lot of us grieving, it's a very different type of grief. That's pretty foreign. And so all of these milestones for lack of better word are just something completely new to navigate that in our whole lives, we haven't really navigated something quite like this. And we're not just navigating it alone. We're navigating it with our spouses who are feeling it and and our kids who are feeling it. And, Mm -hmm. and that takes it to an entirely elevated level. Yes. And we'll go back to Stevie's story because so much leads to her story, but first we want to go back before then. So throughout your life, you are someone who no matter the circumstance has learned to trust that gut instinct, that spiritual inclination to guide you in finding your purpose. I don't think I've actually seen it that way until you guys pointed that out because I think that's always been, I mean, I can't think of the exact word, but my survival mechanism, you know, that's just been my inner compass always has been just sort of listening and following my gut. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it, whether it's been you seeking out God when you were Mm -hmm. previously an atheist or whether it was 
starting a blog about being a new mom back in 2009 to Wesley, who was on the autism spectrum. I mean, there have been so many points where it's very clear that you have clung to that inner compass and not necessarily just followed the pack or followed the social norm. Like you've really kind of paved your own path. And so we're curious if you can recall at what age you first started to hear that inner voice and what helped you kind of learn how to follow it? Oof. You know what? That is a really good question. And I, I cannot pinpoint a specific time. I honestly, truly believe that this is all I've ever known. Like this is, this is a very familiar, comfortable space for me. And when I look back and I try to think about, okay, but what did that look like when I was younger? How was it manifesting in my younger years? I'm an only child. I was raised by a single mom. So I had a great childhood full of tons of amazing things that kids do, but just as a result of being around adults all the time and often being in adult situations, I think that I was always watching and always observing and always paying attention. And I think as a child who was a bit of an empath, I was also absorbing a lot of the energies and emotions that were occurring around me and the adults that I loved and the people that I loved. And that gave me a lot of intuition. And so as I started to get older and I started needing to make my own decisions, there are a lot of times that it can be confusing where we have that inner voice or our gut or the Holy ghost or whatever you want to call it, whatever that looks like for you. And there have definitely been many periods in my life where I hear that voice. And then I have to ask myself, am I just hearing what I want to hear? Am I just hearing what is more comfortable for me? What is the easier out? Am I giving myself the excuse of, well, I'm following my gut and I'm following my intuition, but really I'm just letting myself out of a difficult conversation or an uncomfortable event that really I do need to go through, but it would be easier to be like, oh, I'm following my gut. And I can think of times throughout my life where I've quit things, you know, like things that a goal that I set for myself or a new venture or whatever it is. And I started doing it and I did it really well because In the beginning, it was catering to my talents and I was feeling really on top of the world. But the second that it became difficult, my air quotes, inner voice would start to be filled with doubt or start to question things. And there were definitely times in my youth where I used my inner voice as an excuse to not step into the discomfort of growth and to get myself off the hook of things. And I was really good at that you know, I can be pretty convincing to myself and I can be pretty good with words in that way. So that would be times when I was using it to my own disadvantage. And as I started becoming older and getting more comfortable with personal growth and knowing that I didn't want to waste my time anymore and I didn't want to fool myself. And I was perfectly fine calling out my flaws. And like, it was like the most beautiful day when I could just be like, wow, Ashley, you are so imperfect. (laughs) You have so much to learn and so much to apologize for and so much to improve on and sort of just giving myself that permission that suddenly I was so much more in tune with that inner voice. 
And I could now distinguish between, gosh, is, is that voice just trying to avoid discomfort? Or is this voice really helping to keep me on the path that my soul's journey is, is on? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, yeah. that totally does. Well, okay. it's such an important distinction too. And I think especially in children and youth too, is to start cultivating that awareness Right. Because it's very easy, especially if you think about in your youth to do exactly what you're saying, which is, Hey, I'm listening to my inner self and I don't want to do that. And it's like, Oh, oh, really? Of course you don't. Nobody wants to go to school or nobody wants to do their homework or nobody wants to try out for that team if they think they might not make it or whatever it may be. And so there came a point for you for sure that we start seeing not only were you before we even knew you we're seeing as we reflect on your life times where you kind of started making choices that maybe were more difficult, definitely mm-hmm. called for a lot of growth, put you outside of your comfort zone and you did it anyway. And oftentimes while stepping into those spaces, you have also chosen to publicly share a lot of that, right? Share your story. And so people can get kind of a good look at your life by reading your blog or even speaking events that you've had, you know, you've always been willing to be pretty open and specific and vulnerable about your life on a public scale, which is not easy. And well, we have seen that anyone who does that is opening themselves up to unwarranted criticism and all kinds of opinions and things like that. And and that can really, if you're not secure with why you're doing what you're doing and your inner knowing, that can be really challenging. Yes. And I spent many years in that challenging space and Britt, you and I were close during those times when I was kind of learning that those more difficult lessons of developing a thicker skin or sharing my vulnerability for the right reasons. You know, Brené Brown, we we speak about her all the time. And I think that reading her book was this massively awakening moment for me where I realized, oh, am I truly being vulnerable or am I sharing parts of my story for validation and myself seeking in the reasons that I am sharing. And definitely in my twenties, um, my mid and late twenties, that's what I was doing. You know, I was, I did find a lot of connection in sharing my story on my blog and in that community. And there were so many beautiful, authentic parts of it. But I also realized that it was a period of my life where I was really struggling to find myself and struggling to feel like I was adding value and feel like I was making a difference in people's lives as opposed to just showing up as me and letting that be the difference. And that was a handful of years. And when the criticism would start to roll in after my vulnerability, I remember calling you and being like, can you believe this person left this comment? And then we would just (laughs) sort of spin out on it for a while. And now, now I'm like swipe, delete, block, and I move on with my day, you know, like I don't, I don't spin out over a troll's negative thoughts about the details of my life that they only have a small glimpse and it's only from their lens. So that has been one of my biggest growth journeys. And I realized that it was so important for what was coming. 
going through that learning process and putting myself out on the internet in ways that today make me cringe and like make me so embarrassed of some of the things I would write about. That was all part of building me up to be strong enough to share these more intimate, vulnerable parts of my life that I'm hoping are the most difficult thing that I'll ever have to go through where it, I mean, it feels impossible when somebody passes judgment on the way you lost your child or the way you're grieving about it or the circumstances leading up to her loss. That's a pretty intense thing to be publicly judged on. And for the most part, been navigating that definitely better than I would have had I not have been prepared in those early years. Oh, way better. I don't think that the pros would outweigh the cons of you continuing forward with the sharing if you were still in those early stages, right? Like 100%. Impossible. No, I wouldn't be doing it because I don't recommend that every person shares all the details that perhaps I share. And even in therapy, you know, my therapists have asked me whether it's necessary for me to share some of the details that I share. And I have to assure my therapist, hey, I've done that work. (laughs) I've been down that road. I know you're getting stressed out reading the negative comments. I just need you to know that I'm not stressed out about it like you are. (laughs) I know that it's making you defensive, but I've worked through that and I'm okay. And I'm in a place that I'm not going to let the one negative comment outweigh the hundreds of people messaging me directly that are inspired to just be a better, more loving version of themselves. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to let our listeners in on a little secret. Originally, (laughs) when we came up with the idea for doing this podcast, it was going to be me, Cassandra, Britt, and Ashley. The three of us. The three of us. Yes, it was. And Brooke, who was going to be a regular guest. Yes. Wait, I have to say what is so funny is yesterday I was cleaning out my office and I found some things that should have already been cleaned out like years ago and I'm pulling them out and I found my journal at the time that we were planning this podcast like the original journal, like dusted it off and went through and was cracking up, reading all of our notes, looking at our logo drawings, like all of our brain dumps, (laughs) all of our episode ideas. Like I found the whole entire journal of it. So yes, that was the original plan. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. For the archives. Yeah. Put that in the archives. (laughs) Right. Acrylic case. Okay. (laughs) But that all changed when you had this very clear instinct of another path that you needed to take. And even though there was pain and there was disappointment and sadness for all of us, the bottom line was that this podcast that we had envisioned, it wasn't right. And it seemed like it would have all the ingredients to be right. Like we kept looking at each other and being like, this is perfect. This makes so much sense. And then it didn't. And something drove you in a different direction. If you dusted off that journal and you read it, (laughs) what were the feelings that you had when making the decision to leave the band? (laughs) Gosh, right? Um, Well, I will say I'm going to back up and say that three of us have been friends for a long time. And we have been through just so many different parts of our lives we've been through together, having kids, 
being on bed rest. I remember delivering Stevie and the boys were homesick during that time. So Ben couldn't stay with me. And I had just had a C-section in the hospital, can't really get up. And all of a sudden, just those postpartum waves, you know, started crashing in on me and I was drowning and emotional for no apparent reason. And you guys were the two who showed up and helped wash me down and give me a sponge bath and held my baby and let me cry for literally, I didn't have a specific reason. I was just an emotional wreck. And so I think it's important to illustrate that like that is the depth of what we're talking about here. This isn't just some in-passing friends. These We are the friends who, when Stevie passed, you two were at my doorstep and, and you guys were here that day. So this is like an intense friendship. The conversation that we're having now on this episode are the conversations that like, this is our version of small talk. The three of us have always just talked about only heavy things all the time in passing. We don't know how to have light conversations. So it felt like the perfect recipe for a podcast together because we love to be creative with each other. And, you know, some of our acronyms are ABC. It was necessary. That's what our group text thread is on our phones, ABC. So that was not going to be the name of the podcast. No. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of should, perhaps it should have been, but the ABCs, just kidding. (laughs) Anyway, as we sat down and we started, you know, planning this perfect idea of ours, I would say that it wasn't just for me. I would say all of us, it wasn't right for any of us. Not that the podcast wasn't right, but whatever it was, we were sitting down suddenly started to feel like we were forcing it and it wasn't working. Yeah. And this is where it became difficult for us to accept is there was no, it didn't make sense that it wasn't working. It didn't add up. Like, why isn't this lining up? Why every time we try to sit down and record, do we run into 20,000 disasters? Like why, when we listen to it back, is it just falling flat where we have such a great vibe between the three of us. Why is that not reflecting when we do this? And my answer to that isn't that, oh, well, it turns out you guys don't vibe as well as you thought. My answer to that is God was like, I'm sorry, this, this can't work. This just can't work. There's a very different plan. And I need this to just keep messing up until I, you guys each get on the path that I need you guys to be on. And I didn't know that at the time. This is a perfect example of where that gut feeling was telling me to make a decision that was not the decision I wanted to make. It just, it wasn't. This, I didn't want to not do this. I didn't want to disappoint you two. I didn't want to walk away. I wanted to do this. But my gut feeling was telling me that it wasn't the path for us together. And so even though maybe I didn't fully understand that at the time, I didn't want us to keep forcing it. And I had independent conversations with each of you guys. And then we all spoke together and just kind of talked it through. And we're like, yeah, it's not working. We don't know why, but it's not. But yes, that is the original story. Yeah, well, no. And I think that having some perspective on it, which it's not very often that you have a gut feeling that, you should or shouldn't do something and that you really get to see why. And like, I think that most of the time you just kind of go, oh, well, maybe if we would have gone on that airplane, it would have crashed. I don't know. Like, you know, 
whatever it is, we kind of make up these things to make ourselves feel better for following our gut instinct, mm-hmm, but we mm-hmm. don't really know. And in this situation and why we thought it was important to bring up is that I think we can really see clearly why something that seemed so good that we all three wanted wasn't supposed to happen pretty clear. And to me, it's because, Ash, you needed to channel all your efforts into your business and build what you now have, right? And so you did it in such a short timeframe. It's pretty crystal clear to us. And we feel in awe of God's hand in your life because you have grown immensely in your career with Young Living Essential Oils. And you've cultivated a community of women around you and you mentor them and you lead them in business and you're led by them. And it's this awesome thing that I really think God knew what was coming with your family and what needed to happen in your business. You needed all of your faculties for that. Like you, you needed to be all in there. Do you agree? Yes, I definitely do, which is funny because I remember that's exactly what I was trying to convince you guys the opposite of at the time that we were working on our podcast together is that shortly after we started brainstorming ideas for the podcast is when I started my essential oil business at that same time period. And, you know, I remember you, you guys both being like, that's a full fledged business and me convincing you guys day after day. No, I can do it both. I can do it both. I can do it both. And, you know, a lot of that was me not wanting to disappoint you guys, but also speaking to our friendship and also to your guys's intuition, if you guys would have let me convince you of that, this path could have looked very different because if you guys would have been like, yes, you for sure can do this both. I wouldn't have wanted to disappoint you and I would have believed you guys. And then I wouldn't have put 500% into my young living business and it would have turned out very differently. So instead what it looked like was me stepping away from the podcast and going all in with my young living business. And, and you guys know, like I went all in. And for me, this, when I spoke earlier about me kind of being a professional quitter, (laughs) my whole life is I would always set big goals and try new things and put myself out there. But again, the second that the discomfort became a little too much and I wasn't willing to stretch quite that much into the personal growth area. I gave myself permission to quit and I always gave myself a really good reason. So I didn't have to feel bad. I was really good at convincing myself of that. And when I started my young living business at the same time, it came right off the heels of quitting with you guys. And I told myself, Ashley, you will not start this business if you plan on quitting at any point, this is going to be a non-negotiable for you. And no matter what twists and turns and curveballs come, you're never going to give yourself an excuse to quit. You're going to see it through every single bit of discomfort. Otherwise, don't say yes. And that was the arrangement that I made with myself literally on day one of deciding to do this business. And in that time frame, I mean, it's been three years now, if you guys can believe that, I have had every very legitimate excuse to quit. 
I mean, I've been given every single reason to walk away from this because life is heavy. And there were a million opportunities where, you know, losing Stevie, that that was a time when I didn't know how I would ever face my business again. How would I ever show up for my team and my community in the capacity that I had before after what we had just gone through? And could have quit then. And I remembered the agreement that I made to myself was no, under no circumstance. And instead, what that experience and that commitment has resulted in was that when I went through this most difficult experience of my life in losing my daughter, I now had this loyal community of women who had not previously been in my life, who I was doing life and work with on a daily basis. And it had grown from a handful of women to a couple dozen, to a couple hundred, to several thousand women on our team. And when Stevie got her diagnosis, there was now a community rallying behind us and a community picking up the pieces of my business that where I was falling short because I was 100% focused on my daughter and a community pouring prayer over us. In addition to our close-knit, real friends and family that are local to us, we now had people all over the world that because of my Young Living business, were a part of this story and really helped to strengthen us. And there are literally hundreds and hundreds of little individual stories weaved throughout that, that one day I hope to be able to tell those stories in different ways, but that make those early, more difficult decisions. Like you said, Britt, where we really do get to see the reason behind the decision play out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Britt and I, we got to see a little bit of that firsthand in those first days after her diagnosis, as we kind of took to your social media to filter through some of the comments and things like that. And it was beautiful and humbling and amazing to see how this community that you have grown just rallied around you. And it was just so much love and prayers sent your way. And we were so grateful for the experience that although there was so much pain happening, that you had so many people encircling you in love. Yeah. I mean, there were multiple times during that time where Cassandra and I looked at each other and we're like, oh my gosh, it all makes sense. Like, this is why things had to happen the way they did. And as much as we hated that, and of course that wasn't the only reason things needed to work out the way they did. There's a lot of positive things that have come from you leading this team and diving into Young Living. But during that time specifically, it was just like, wow, she has this community that is just really outstanding people, just really incredible human beings that genuinely know her and love her. Like they know Ash. We know Ash. They know Ash somehow. And it's because like you're saying, you're working with them every day. You're involved in their highs and lows. You're talking them through them. Like there's, you cultivated this relationship because of the type of work that you're in that is really real and strong. And so anyway, I just think that that's kind of cool to see, Hey, super big bummer. Didn't work out. Why didn't it? We're still having these awesome conversations. Why didn't we record those and just play those? Those would have been amazing. 
<laughs> Why were the ones we tried to record not happening? You know, there's this, all this disappointment. And then like, do we even do this anymore? What, there was so much. And then now we're just like, oh my gosh, it all happened how it needed to. And we can still have these moments with you, Ash, where we have this like synergy that is amazing. And we do have it, you know, that's, it is real. And we felt it on the last episode we did with you. And there's no denying that, but it's also wasn't supposed to be mm-hmm. all of our path together at that time. And it hasn't changed anything about our intimacy in our relationship. I mean, I would say that it has I, for me, I, and I think for all of us that it's actually made us closer and it's, it's shown us that it's safe for all three of us to be exactly who we are and give each other permission to be who we are to ourselves and who we are in this relationship. So I feel like the way we navigated that, I'm so proud of us. And there were a lot of uncomfortable feelings. There were, it wasn't like, guys, I don't think this is right for me. Okay. Moving on. Like it was uncomfortable and it was, well, why isn't it right for you? Or, well, why are you guys still doing it? If I'm not doing it, like there were all of those human emotions weaved into that story for us. It wasn't just this like rip off the bandaid and everybody moves on. We had to work through that, but we did, we did work through that. And that was also the agreement that we made with each other before we even got started. When we very first had the idea, we looked at each other and said, but our friendship is priority. And if it ever does, get murky or if there ever is unspoken resentment or confusion or miscommunication, like we're committed to figuring that out. And we did, and it made us stronger and it helped us all stay on the path we're supposed to be on. Yeah, I agree. We had so many painful conversations and eye-opening conversations, but like you said, in the end, it was wow, we actually can all trust each other Mm -hmm. that I trust you enough to go with your gut instinct and to know what's right for you and your family. You trust me enough to do the same and to trust that as we're going through pain and as we're going through discomfort, our highest goal is to end at love for each other. And that's what we did. Yeah. Literally perfectly put. Yes. Yes. I mean, yes. not to pat ourselves on the back. I know <laughs> it, does, obnoxious. <laughs> it does sound a little bit like that, but that's because, you know, anyone who's listening is getting to hear us speak about it after we've already learned the lesson. You're not hearing our awkward, uncomfortable conversations where maybe oh. we hurt each other's feelings, or maybe we replied with emotion rather than being rational, like all of that was part of getting to how we see it today. (laughs) Absolutely. And that would have been like a year or something too, of just like, Hey, keep going, keep going, keep going. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of other conversations. Yes. Speaking of other conversations, the last one we had on our last episode, you Mm -hmm. described what a day in the life would be for you as a working mom from home. Oh my goodness. And that description also included our sweet Stevie. Mm-hmm. So take us to that time frame when we last recorded, when you were first noticing this decline in your then two-year-old daughter, Stevie, in her health and her motor functioning, you were in close contact with your pediatrician or as close of contact as you could be considering that COVID had then hit and added a whole other layer of complexity 
we were all in deep quarantine and the time came when you knew that you needed to take her to the hospital and then all of your worst nightmares pretty much just started unfolding right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember there was a post that you wrote and in it, you revealed her diagnosis of DIPG and you said, I'm just going to read it. You said, I won't pretend to understand why we have to go through this or what God's purpose is in this pain. But my faith in him is the only constant I have right now. And I'm holding on to it with every ounce I possess. He knows our pain and he carries it with us. So taking yourself back there, do you recall what made you share this very raw, intimate moment with your followers? And what do you feel like these words that you wrote then mean to you now? Um, I can tell you that in the moment that I shared it, there, there wasn't a plan, there wasn't foresight, there wasn't... I mean, I had no way of knowing what sharing those words was going to result in. It was mostly because I, because of the pandemic, I was there alone and carrying this alone was way too heavy. It was way too much. And I had to share it. And this was the way that it fell out of me. And I, I never stopped to think is this too personal? I never stopped to think, are strangers going to read this post? It just happened. I felt it. I was overwhelmed with it. I was crawling out of my body with this news. And, and it was just my way of not being the only one to carry it in that moment. Even though you were the only one with her. Yes. Just yes. want to make that distinction for people is that Ben was not able to be with you. We weren't able to be with you. Your sister, best friend, Lacey, wasn't able to be with you, your mother, um, because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, it, it could be a lot more poetic if there was some purpose to those words outside of that. But really, it was selfishly, it was too heavy for me to carry alone anymore. And I had to share it. And also selfishly, I was trying to be present with her. I wasn't taking 20,000 phone calls and I couldn't bear delivering that news over and over and over to all the people I loved and cared about because every time I had to tell somebody else who loved her the way that, that I loved her, I had to tell them that this was her prognosis and that she was going to die from this. I I was reliving it all over again through their pain because because I love them and they loved her. So it wasn't just ripping off my own bandaid. It was like I was punching them too. And I had to tell them all at once because I couldn't, I couldn't do it individually. Another thing that you wrote, and I think it was, I don't even know if it was in response to direct things that you were hearing or more just anticipating knowing what people would say when they heard about her diagnosis that surely the floodgates would open and everyone would be rushing to tell you all the solutions. Yes. So you wrote this, you said we would go to the ends of the earth to save her if we could. Gosh, this is going to make me cry. I could read it. Do you want me to read it? Yeah. Will you read it? (laughs) Sorry. Your words. It sounds better coming out of your mouth anyway. We would go to the ends of the earth to save her if we could. For all of those who have been praying for a miracle with us, keep praying. But please know that Stevie's miracle, 
our miracle may not come in the ways you are praying, but God is good and it will come. And one day we will understand the purpose in this pain. Right. So how would you say that your relationship with God has changed since going through this? Oh, this is, this is tricky because I think that, I think that this is where I'm incredibly grateful. I don't give myself any credit for this portion of my story because I think that this is Stevie's gift to me. And I think that this is God's gift to me was he was like, listen, Ash, if you make all these other choices in your life leading up to this moment, the gift I'm going to give you is that you're just, you're just not going to question it when this really hard thing happens. Okay. Like I can just, I promise you, you won't question it. And I think that, you know, questioning and the bargaining and that whole portion of grief and loss is something that almost everybody experiences. And of course I have as well in my own ways, but lucky enough for me, there was never a moment where I doubted him in this process. And there was also never a moment where I did not feel his presence every single step of the way. And if anything, the more it hurt and the more confused I was and the more questioning I had, the more I felt him. And I wasn't sitting there saying to him, why, why, why? Instead, it was like, I was just feeling the why and knowing that he was sitting right next to me, arms wrapped around me saying, I know, I know, I know, I know, because I did this too. I had to do this too. I lost my son too. And I had to watch him be in pain too. I know exactly what this feels like. And I'm sorry. And I know you want to take it away from her. I know you want to, because I wanted to take it away from my son too, but I didn't, I, I couldn't because there's a bigger picture here. And I promise you, Ashley, that one day when you're with me again, you'll know the whole story, but as your life unfolds, you will get little glimpses of why this sacrifice has to happen. And that is what I felt. It doesn't take away the pain at all. And I think that that, for me, it doesn't. And I think that that's where the confusion comes is if I have faith in God, then why am I in so much pain? If he's real, then why does this hurt so much? And I don't think that, I don't think that that's what he promises us. I just think he promises us that we won't hurt alone and that we can hand over so much of that pain to him. And that's been a little bit of the trickier part of my journey is you know, I have complete faith that I'm not alone with this pain, but I've had to practice and become better at handing it to him. And what does that practice look like? Like, what are you actually doing to try to surrender that? Yes. So it doesn't come naturally to me. And it is something that my therapist has been very instrumental in helping walk me through and also just helping illustrate to me that that I wasn't surrendering that, you know, she knows how strong my faith is. And so we were in a session and I was just telling her that it just, this was recently, it was probably about a month ago. And I was like, it just hurts so bad. And I'm like, it, it may even hurt more now than it did then. Like it hurts. And I can't 
escape this pain. Like I just, I can't outrun it, but I cannot keep feeling this way all the time because I'm so tired. And that's what I was sharing with her. And she, her response to me was, I know how strong your faith is. Have you surrendered this pain to your higher power? Have you surrendered this pain to God yet? I'm like, well, I'm not sure what you mean by that, but yeah, like I talk to him about it all the time. We're in this together. I know it. She's like, yeah, I know you believe that, but have you literally said like, here, take this, like not necessarily take it away from me. Don't make me have any pain, but like here, I know you're the only one who can carry this. And I was like, um, no, I actually don't think I've done that. How do I do that? she pointed out to me that your faith may be strong, but how strong is your faith really if you are still convincing yourself that you can do this on your own, that your air quotes, again, strong enough to carry this on your own. That's, that's not exercising your faith. And so she challenged me to increase my daily prayer and meditation And that as part of that daily prayer and meditation, because for me, those two things are combined. I like to begin my prayers with meditation so that it takes me into a place that when I begin directly communicating with my higher power, with God, that it is not in a way that I am just repeating words out loud and feeling like I'm talking to myself. It now feels more like a back and forth and a dialogue. And so I begin with the meditation, which calms my mind, slows down my mind, definitely calms my body and puts me in a position to not just be speaking to the Lord, but also to be receiving. If I just get on my knees and like say a prayer out of the blue, like walk into my room, sit on my knees, say a prayer, I don't do the receiving portion of that prayer very well. It's nice to unload and that feels really good, but the receiving part is harder. So the meditation really helps me in the receiving part. And what her challenge to me was, is that once I reach that prayer portion of my meditation, where I'm communicating with my heavenly father, that that's where my mantra then becomes like, I surrender this pain to you. I know that you can carry it. I know that I can hand it to you. I know that I am not strong enough to carry this on my own. And I cannot spend all my energy convincing myself that I am or questioning why I'm not strong enough or trying to build up my tolerance to be strong enough. Like we're not designed to carry this kind of pain. We are not. That is not what we are designed to come here to do. We are designed to come here to experience the pain and then hand it back to him. And again, that doesn't free me from it, but it reminds me that I'm not alone and that I don't have to carry it alone so that I don't basically suffocate under the pressure and the weight of all of it. How frequently are you doing this prayer meditation combo? Right now, I'm doing it at least three times a day. Sometimes Five, minutes each. Do you have like a, a... Sometimes it's longer. It's different every time. Five, 10 minutes. I No, we're talking like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> like 30 minutes to an hour. And do I think that that's typical? Absolutely not. I've always been prayerful and been working on 
meditation, my own version of it, because I have no training and I have no idea what I'm doing. I've always just done my own little version of what works. And I would say that throughout the last handful of years, it's been five to 10 minute increments up to 15. But where I'm at currently and the weight of my grief and what I'm walking around with all the time that I need to release or else I'll implode takes a very long time to just lighten the load a teeny tiny bit. So I have like my little scheduled ones, like every night before bed and then in the morning as well. But the other times that I sit down to do this, I'm really just trying to listen to my body. And when I'm feeling especially overwhelmed, I give myself permission to walk away from whatever I'm doing socially. Like, sorry, if this appears that I'm being rude, but we even had people staying with us and, you know, they had all their kids and their family was here. And I left for an hour. Like I just went into my room for an hour and I put on my headphones and I lay down and it took a full hour for me to feel it release before I came back. So it looks pretty different. I just listened to my body. I think also Ash, one thing that you're describing here is the atonement. And so for those who are Christian, this really just sounds like the atonement in action, which again is sometimes the hard part to see. It feels very obscure how to hand something over. And so I think it's so helpful for you to paint this picture for people of like what this actually looks like. And their pain might be on the same scale, might be on a smaller scale, it might be on a larger scale, but you've painted this picture of what actually handing over the weight of pain can look like for people. So I think that's such a beautiful gift to give to people. And I think that because of you being such a doer. And I know a lot of people out there are going to understand this. You don't have time for that almost like your mind tells you, I have too much to Mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. I don't have time for that. I don't really have time to grieve or surrender or whatever that means. Like I'll give it 15 minutes. Is that good? And so I wanted to bring up really what this actually is meaning for you. And I know it's going to look different for everyone, but that you're going to have to kind of sacrifice a bit of your doer syndrome and set it aside so that you can actually schedule in time for this. If that's how it needs to look for you. I mean, of course you're also just basing it off when you feel you need it, but I think to some degree you go into autopilot Mm -hmm. because you have all of this hefty list. And unless you have something scheduled for yourself, it may not happen. Mm-hmm. And when you first told me about this, Ash, I had like this visual in my mind. First of all, I so loved that there was kind of some visualization that you were doing as you were laying down. And I asked Ashley, like, explain to me exactly what you're visualizing. You know, I wanted to know what that looks like, but what I was picturing in my mind when you were telling me about it was like, Imagine those giant camper backpacks, the ones that are like jumbo that go up above your head with like your sleeping bag and just a million things in them. And I just imagine Ashley, she would have to buckle like six buckles in the front of it just to bear the weight of this giant camper backpack that she had. And in my mind, it's like filled with bricks and she's just trudging around doing all the things with this giant weight. And literally going in her room and laying down and like taking it off and just laying there. And maybe each time you do a session like this, you're only able to take a couple bricks out. 
And then you sit back up and strap it back on to move forward with your day. And maybe sometimes you feel like you unload the whole thing, but then as you go about, you still have the backpack on and you know, things are going to get loaded back into it. And so it's this actual cycle that you need to regularly revisit. And again, as a Christian, it's like, oh, why do we have all of these cycle type things, these regular practices Practices. that we do? And this is why. And when you are dealing with something on such a big scale as you are right now, you see it's not a one and done situation. You know, this is going to be a practice for you that is just going to be part of your life, most likely. Yeah. Yes, it is. And I think it's a part of, you know, a lot of our practice. And it was actually a part of my practice long before this was our experience, but I wasn't very good at it. (laughs) And I was really good at making a bunch of excuses to get out of it because, like you said, I'm a doer and I didn't really have time for that. Where is the time for any of this? And so I would, before we do it, the day would end and I wouldn't have gotten to it. And And so I just kept walking around with the backpack on, but it felt, it was all survivable then. Doesn't mean that that was healthy. It just means that I could still go on with my day with that backpack on. And when it came to this, when it came to Stevie, it wasn't survivable anymore. I I, I couldn't move. I can't move. I still can't a lot of the time that it's now gotten to the point to where like, there just isn't any other choice. I guess when it's like, okay, where's the takeaway from that? Where's the advice? It's establish your practice before you get to the point to where you can't move. Whether you have to navigate pain on this level or loss on this level, or whether it looks completely different for you, life is so much different when we give ourselves permission to unpack some of that a couple times a day, several times a day, whatever that practice looks like, we don't have time not to do it. And even still with the depth of what I'm experiencing, I still have to work at it. I still have to force myself to lay down on that bed, to turn on the music, to put my eye patch on, to, to lock my bedroom door, whatever it is I have to do. It still takes effort. It's not effortless for me, even after everything. So I know how hard it is. I know that it sounds like, why are the things that are best for us? Often the things that are most difficult to do, but we have to give ourselves permission to do that. And, and we have to challenge ourselves to commit to it. Yeah. So in David Kessler's book, Finding Meaning, he talks about the sixth stage of grief. Mm -hmm. And we have talked about this book before on previous episodes. He says, each person's grief is as unique as their fingerprint. But what everyone has in common is that no matter how they grieve, they share a need for their grief to be witnessed. That doesn't mean needing someone to try to lessen it or reframe it for them. The need is for someone to be fully present to the magnitude of their loss without trying to point out the silver lining. Mm -hmm. I think that is such an interesting perspective and it's important to know that that grief needs to be witnessed. Just being present with it without pointing out the silver lining, I think is huge. And so 
with that in mind that everybody's grief is unique, how is the rest of your family doing? How's Benny? How are the boys? How are Um, they experiencing this grief? I think it's tough. I think that we, you know, we have our good days, our bad days, our good hours and our tough hours. And I think that we're coming up on a year and we're experiencing kind of every season without her for the first time. So everything's, even though it's almost been a year, everything still feels brand spanking new. And I think that a lot of what's hard too, is that it's also almost been a year and we still have no clarity about what the rest of our lives look like. Like that has not gotten any clearer and it's a year later and we're still grasping and struggling every day to see the purpose in everything. And I think that Ben and I are both people and our boys, sorry, you hear my dog who's so upset that he's not part of this conversation. I think that Ben and I and both the boys we're all very similar in that we like to know what to expect and we like to have a plan. And even though we can be spontaneous and all of those things, we like kind of knowing how our life is going to be mapped out. And this changed all of that. And so to be a year later and to really have no idea what tomorrow is even going to look like, mostly because of our experience with Stevie, but also largely in part of because of the way our world looks so different because of this pandemic and all of those things happening at the same time. We don't even know what school's going to look like for our kids next year. Are we ever going to have kids, any more kids? Gosh, I don't know. We're still getting older. You know, is our family going to grow? Is it always going to be this quiet in our house? Are we going to have more kids running around here one day? Do we just need to be content with what we have? What's grief going to look like for the boys when they get older? What's this going to mean for our marriage? How's our communication going to continue to unfold as we enter new phases of our grief? It's so terrifying to know that as we figure out what these new chapters look like for us, they are unfolding so much unknown that comes along with it. So as your family began to tread these waters, I remember you explaining to us how you and Ben kind of came up with an agreement or rules or however you want to say it for those who were grieving with you. And can you kind of tell us a little bit about that? I think where that started was, this was tough and it's and like the memory is seared in my brain and I can see exactly where I was sitting and where all the people I love were in one room And because of the pandemic, this was right in the heart of it. You know, we hadn't seen our family, any of our extended families in a really long time. My mom lives out of the country. So when we got the news about Stevie, you know, she was far away in Mexico and other members of my family who I'm close with were high risk for getting sick. So none of us had seen each other. So when we brought Stevie home and we knew it was only a matter of time, as that time period revealed to us that it was going to be a lot shorter than, than we had hoped and that she didn't have much time, my mom got an airplane and came here and my aunt was here and my dearest friends who are like sisters to me were here and 
Stevie's nanny, who's like a little sister to me was here and Stevie's little inner circle, we were all together and the nurses were there. And so that's a lot of energy in our home, but it was also the people who needed to be there in Stevie's last days. And I remember when, when her decline got to a point where I knew there wasn't a lot of time left, I started to feel everybody I love's energy just heighten and prickle. Like you, you could just feel the discomfort. You could feel it in the room. And I remember only letting that happen for about 24 hours before I realized, wait a second, it doesn't have to be like this. Yes, what we're going through is terrible and uncomfortable, but we don't all have to walk on eggshells around each other. And we get to choose if we're going to allow that energy into this space. And I wasn't going to let that be part of Stevie's story at the end. So at one point, Stevie was on the couch and she had just had like a seizure. And so she was sleeping it off and we were all laying with her and I called everybody into the room and I said, you know, we're going to say a family prayer. We're all going to say a prayer together because these next couple of days are going to be incredibly tough and we all need to be on the same page. And so I led that prayer and in that prayer, I was able to say things without them being questioned and without them without me looking directly at certain people. And I was able to say that the rule that we're making here is that we are going to look around this house for the next handful of days. And we are going to know that every person that we're making eye contact with is experiencing the worst pain of their entire life. You're not the only one experiencing the worst pain of your whole life. Every one of us is. So if one of us behaves in a way that's annoying or insensitive, if one of us says something that rubs the other one the wrong way, if one of us isn't being intuitive and doesn't leave the room when they should, whatever it is that is a behavior that would normally cause us discomfort, we all need to change the narrative in our heads to just remember that we're all grieving and we're all doing the best that we can. And the rule is that we are giving every single person in this house grace for how they're going to grieve. We're all going to get grace for it. We're not going to judge each other's grief. We're going to understand that every single person's behavior and the words that are coming out of their mouth are happening as a result of having to navigate an impossible pain that no one should have to navigate. And, and I just kept saying my prayer that, that we're all sensitive to that. And that every time we feel that, that we invite the spirit to be there, to soften our hearts and to have compassion for each other. And I think that that was me calling upon the Lord to help me set a really, really clear boundary for the energy that I wanted Stevie to have as she passed. Like, I didn't want her to feel that. I hear people say all the time when they're holding the hands of somebody who's about to pass that, oh, they don't know what's going on or they're too medicated or they're in too much pain or they're not thinking clearly anymore. And all I'm thinking is, oh, they have never been more in tune. Oh. They have never been more in tune to what's going on. And they might not be able to communicate with words to us, but what they can communicate through energy is 
is a language that far excels our own. And so I knew I had to do everything to protect her energy. Just, I had to protect it for her. And so that for me, I didn't want to look back and regret the way that we handled those moments. Mm. And while I look back and there was a lot of trauma surrounding her final days and her final hours, just because it's traumatic to lose your child, we don't have regrets because we all showed up with intentional energy and with grace for each other and, and in just wanting to give her the most peaceful exit that she could have. Yeah. And you could feel that for sure in your household and anyone who entered your home during that phase, I think it was like a unanimous comment of these are holy grounds. You felt how sacred that space was. And that was intentionally created. And I think that that was a result of you all giving each other some grace during that time. You could really feel it. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when things would come up or we would have to have a conversation with one of you, or we would be coming over to your house, sitting down and praying and getting ourselves aligned just to enter there because it was, it felt sacred and it felt like, I will not be the person that's going to bring anything here other than grace, love, and support. Mm -hmm. Yep. I cannot say enough how lucky we are that our village was so in tune with that. And I think that that was one of the greatest blessings of that difficult period of time is that so many people rose up into this version of themselves that is just like transcendent in so many ways. So many people showed up and left every bit of baggage at the door and were like superhuman. Like, I don't even know how everybody was so superhuman in that time in the way that they showed up. I will say (laughs) that the blessings that were and the angels that were surrounding us in that time that as that started to wear off, stepping back into reality of the world and humanity and our own imperfections and a lot less grace for one another, for ourselves, that has been a very, very challenging portion of this. But the beautiful part is that so much of her legacy is leaving a lingering of that superhumanness in people that I see that just won't ever go away, that forever changes the way that we interact or operate or identify what actually is important and what isn't, that's going to linger and stay around forever. And I, and I can see that all the time too. Yeah. I've definitely seen shifts in people in, in our lives who have been touched by your story and Stevie's story. And they have said, it's, this has changed me forever. I can never go back. Yeah. We want to read something else that you wrote just before Halloween last year, and it struck us to the core. And we knew that this is exactly what we hoped that the people who are listening could take away from today, if nothing else. And do you want to read it or do you want us to? Okay. So Ashley has something that we call real-time processing. And so where most people would read and they don't know anything they've just read, their eyes have just tracked and spoken words. Ashley's actually able to absorb what she reads as she reads it. Yeah. It, right. Yeah. Where you usually like read something or something, and then you call someone like an hour later and you're like, Hey, 
right. It yeah. just it just came. Let me talk to you about what I just read. No, Ashley's like, I'll read it and then I'll tell you exactly. It's real time processing and it's one of the most beautiful gifts I've ever seen. And the fact that she's chosen to share it with the world is Ooh. genuinely something to be very thankful for because it has impacted and changed so many people. So I am so thankful for that about you, Ash. And this moment that you're about to read is that in action because you didn't sit and curate this for 20 days before you posted it. This is just, this just rolls off the tongue for our dear friend, Ash. So Ash, will you please, without further ado, will you please oh, read? Oh my goodness. Okay. Let's see what it is. Um, I know it can be a bit taboo amongst the greeting community to tell someone that God knew they could handle this, that they were ready to carry the pain that was coming because none of us wants to believe that the lessons we're learning in this life were leading up to loss. And even though I believe this truth with all my heart, I hold back on sharing the sentiment with aching souls because those words can usually end up feeling like an odd combination of empty and heavy when our hearts are so broken. So instead, I focus my words on validating their grief and mine, assuring them that no one is expected to carry this load alone, that all their pain and sorrow and the shattered pieces of their heart are a testament to their immense capacity to love. So no, of course, no one, no matter the life they have led, is ever prepared for a loss this big. But while we won't ever feel prepared, we have most certainly been prepared." His hand, should we choose to look for it, is in the details of our pain. The random moments throughout our day when grief hits us like a crashing wave and takes us to our knees, drawing us closer to his sacrifice. Or when our loss connects us with new hearts and we build relationships with strangers who soon become family and forever alter the trajectory of our lives. Or when our loss encourages others to step into their higher selves, pouring goodness out into the world that continues to spread like wildfire. Pain is universal. Loss is universal. No one is immune. It's one part of life where we can all find common ground. Pain has the power to unify and to heal if we let it. And that's what I think we're all being prepared for. The part we really want to highlight is where you point out that pain has the power to unify and heal if we let it. And that is what we are being prepared for. There's a caveat And that is if we let it, which definitely gives a nod to the point that we have to decide to look for it. Mm -hmm. We'll have days where we cannot see it, but we can't give up on the hope that there is a purpose. We really feel like this applies to everything from something as life altering and tragic as losing Stevie to the pain of not having a creative business venture to work out the way we dreamt. We can always choose to believe there is a purpose. It's to unify and heal. And we can choose to let our minds go to work, proving our belief is true the way our brains do. Yeah. So Ash, kind of to close, can you tell us how you are doing with the healing and how you push through the days where it's hard to find evidence of the purpose? And if you're able to find some purpose in your pain at this point in the process? So when you ask, am I finding that purpose in the pain yet? And how am I pushing through those tough days? The reality is (laughs) in a lot of ways, I'm not at all. In a lot of ways, every single day, I still say to myself, like, how in the hell is this my life? (laughs) Did this really happen to us? And every single day I bargain with 
all the things I would do just to be able to be with her again. And when I was, you know, again, to bring up my therapist, because that's such a big part of my healing and my grief right now, she asked me how, what you're feeling today, this was a couple of weeks ago, how are you feeling today that's different from how you were feeling a month ago or two months ago? Mm. And I like sat for a couple of seconds and I said, everything just feels really permanent, just feels really permanent. And I said, I don't feel like I've been in denial because trust me, this all feels incredibly real, but now the permanence of it all is so sad. And she said, I think it would be safe to say that that would be the acceptance portion of your grief. For lack of a better word, if we're going to relate this to the stages of grief, that would be what acceptance feels like. And a lot of people don't realize is that acceptance feels a lot like the permanence of realizing that you're just going to carry this all the time. And it might feel lighter sometimes and it might feel heavier at others, but this is always now. And um, that's a really tough thing to come to terms with, to realize that in some ways we all carry the pivotal moments that happen in our lives with us always. But a lot of the time we carry it somewhere in the back of our mind and it plays some subconscious role And this is just impossible to be subconscious. Like it's just always in the front. It's always there. Maybe in 10 years that will look different. I don't imagine that. I don't imagine how that's possible. So in 10 years, let's get on and let's do a follow-up and let's see. But right now it's all very permanent and we're dealing with how to navigate that. We're learning how to navigate. What does that look like for our boys? What does that look like for holidays? What does that look like for the dynamic in our marriage? What does that look like for how we talk about emotions and how when Ben and I both try to go into solution mode and to fix each other's pain. And now we don't even try to do that anymore because because it's laughable for both of us where, you know, we're carrying the same pain and we can't fix it for ourselves. So we can't fix it for each other. So then what do we do for each other? What does that look like? And so every day is mostly spent learning how to navigate each one of these new stages of grief, knowing that once you cross a threshold of one stage of grief, you're not done with it it comes back. It's a cycle. They don't all happen in order and they don't all only happen once. So we're still navigating all that. And it doesn't appear that we're going to be done navigating that anytime soon. Yeah. I don't think that losing Stevie was a trade-off. I don't think that I don't think that we're going to find the purpose in like, well, you lost her. So this could happen. Instead, I think that her loss was more of a butterfly effect in that the ripple that her loss created just has this ability to go on and to go on and to touch such, to be so far reaching if those of us who have been affected by her most continue to share that message and continue to share about her. 
And I think that that is a big part of why I continue to share our journey so openly, why I continue to talk about some of those more vulnerable, intimate moments of our grief, why I'll continue to do podcast interviews and while I'll continue to write about our experience is because for me, that is how I keep her alive. And that is how I continue to create purpose out of this loss, that the purpose isn't just going to happen on this own, like on its own. The Lord didn't send us here to make things happen to us. He's creating opportunities for us and then we have to do something about it. So I think that we're just as responsible in creating that purpose. And so while I'm looking for the purpose and the pain all over, I'm also trying to create it. I'm trying to make sure that other people feel less alone, that people offer more grace, that people start to be willing and brave and courageous enough to learn the language of grief and try to speak it so that when somebody they know or care about is navigating this, they feel less alone in it because none of us, as I've said a thousand times, like none of us is immune to this experience. Like we're all going to have to navigate this specific type of pain at some point in our lives. Why aren't these conversations we have until we've personally experienced it? I, I don't know why that is because I certainly didn't have these conversations until I was the one experiencing it. That has to change. And I think that that is part of the purpose that I see is that we need to have bigger conversations about this and we need to see pain for what it is and to start seeing it as a blessing and a gift to our life as much as it's completely uncomfortable. Pain is the opportunity for the most growth in this journey. Without the pain, we don't change at all. We don't grow at all. And if we can stop lamenting about the pain, it doesn't mean stop feeling it or stop being sad about it. Because as I've declared on this, like I am in the depths of that sadness and I don't see it going anywhere. But I also fully recognize that that sadness is my gift. That sadness has given me the capacity to connect with people on levels that I never could have had I not have felt this. It's opened up chambers of my heart. It's opened up my empathy. I mean, it, it's opened up everything, but mostly that compassionate connection that we cannot truly have until we've experienced the pain and until we've been willing to step into someone else's pain. So that's where I seek the purpose. And that's also where I'm trying to create the purpose. I think your ability to have that spiritual creation that you're talking about and also your creation with words and creating this new language, this new language around grief is really helping all of us. So thank you so much for combining those gifts that you have for all of us to learn a deeper, more important language that we can use. Yeah. Absolutely. And I am sitting here thinking, I don't know that I asked the question right. And I don't know that I even like the question that I asked because back to the David Kessler quote, we're not sitting here being like, okay, so Ash, make sure and tell us all the silver linings. That's not what I'm trying to force is for there to be silver linings in that way. However, your answer was perfect because 
what I do think is an important takeaway is that our life is what we make it. And going back to how you started in the very beginning of this interview, when we're, you're talking about when you're a little girl and your inner voice is sometimes quitting because it's hard or trudging through because of growth, that same lesson applies here and it's affecting your life today. And your life is what it is as far as the fact that you're finding meaning through this because of that awareness that you have had multiple times throughout your life teaching you that without the discomfort, there isn't growth. And so while you didn't choose this and you still would never choose this, the growth is something that you are looking for in your experience on this earth. And Mm -hmm. so if this is the form it's coming in, you're willing to still find the meaning in your life. And I think by highlighting that and so eloquently articulating it, it helps others to find that as well. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're talking about with the language of grief. So thank you, Ash. We love Love you you guys. Love you guys more. (laughs) We love you more. (laughs) Um, Okay. Before we let you go, Ash, I know you have to go. You've got a busy day of meetings, but tell us something you're loving. Give us a well looky here. What's something you've been obsessed with lately? Okay. That's actually a great question because last night I couldn't sleep and it was one in the morning and I went on and I made a collage in the Canva app of all of my favorite free people sweatsuits that I live in 24 (laughs) seven. And I called it my Friday free people faves. Haven't posted it yet, but I need you to know that at one or one 30 in the morning, I made that collage because I was sitting, oh, I'm like showing you, but nobody's going to see this. Um, we're also on video and I just showed my open closet full of neutral tone sweatsuits all from free people. So I love a good, what's it called? Like when you wear sweatpants, but to work like loungewear, what is it called? What's that called? I would call it loungewear. Uh, no, it's, it's that a is casual athleisure. No, it's no, casual a- taken to the extreme. Yeah, I'm definitely not athleisure because it's not like you're going to go on a run in it. It's more like boho sweats. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I have like 20 versions of the same sweatsuits and I wear them every day because I can only wear things with an elastic waistband these days around my waist. Yep. Us too. I feel you on that. that okay, is... so send that collage over to us so that yeah. we order the ones that we don't have yet. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure you guys have them all by this point, but yes, stay tuned for that collage with links. <laughs> <laughs> Littlemissmama.com. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have to take Miles to freshman orientation right now. Oh, oh, and I have a call that the girl's been on for five minutes. Oh, so okay. well, we love you. Love, Bye. love you, love you, love you. Talk to you guys later. You can learn more about Ashley Stock and her journey on littlemissmama.com. That's little miss mama spelt M O M M A. You can find her on her website littlemissmama.com or on Instagram under littlemissmama. She also has her oil feed which is Breathe and Bloom Essentials. She has incredible tips and tricks and the most amazing group of women that she is living this oily life with, and we are so stoked to be a part of it. So go check her out and make sure you're following along, and let's support the Stock family every way we can through this journey. Thanks for being with us. Be well.
Hey boo, can you leave us a review? It would be so nice of you. It helps us reach people who would enjoy it too. Thank you.